Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast, a conversation where good thoughts help renew the mind with the Word of God. I'm Charlie Carter, and I'm here with Tim Little and Andy Stearns. Let's jump into the conversation. Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast. Today, we have a little bit of a unique episode again uh, in our summer. We want to start off by saying and sharing that uh, if you would take a moment to pray for Thinkling Stearns and his family, he and all of us at the Thinklings Podcast would appreciate that. Uh, he and his family have shared updates on their social media. And so if you'd like to find those and read more about their family uh, situation, you can. But pray for his wife and her health. And obviously, he's our close friend, and so we are mindful of his absence. So uh, pray for him, and uh, we've prayed for you because now you have to put up with just Tim and Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, Tim, how's it going? Okay, how are you doing, Charlie? <laughs> I'm doing just fine. And uh, here's what we're going to do in today's episode. Obviously, it's going to be a little bit different because it's just two of the thinklings rather than three. I, Charlie, just returned from a weekend ministry conference in Washington, D.C. It was sponsored and put on by Nine Marks Ministries at Capitol Hill Baptist Church in uh, Washington, D.C., within a few steps of the Capitol and all the fun stuff there. And so, and I literally just got back from that. I got home from the airport uh, and then jumped in the car. And on my way back, we were going to record in the morning, and I just called Tim and was like, why don't we do it now? So these episodes, these days, are pretty fresh, and uh, there's a lot of different reasons for that. Uh, Robin has a PET scan the day this drops, so you can pray about that scan and that the doctors would have some wisdom on what direction forward to take. And uh, so Charlie's got his uh, fresh trip to share, and then I have some updates to do as well, just on um, book publishing and article writing for this summer. Uh, so really current information uh, coming from this episode. Yeah. So as always, we have some Thinklings business to tend to. Book and business. And before you talk about your book, I'll talk about my book. Go. So uh, updating the book revising a book that's it it's fun it's way more work than you would think it is but it's good it's good it'll be better it will be better it is so what are you revising right now so uh tim and i are going to meet uh later this week and we're going to go through the preface the introduction and hopefully chapter one and uh tim teaches this class at faith theological research where he has read a lot of people's horrendous papers over the years. So he has a really good eye for things that are disorganized. And he read through my introduction and he said, this is disorganized. So I've been working hard to organize it. And so, and and I was sitting at the airport today as we were getting ready to fly back to Des Moines and working on that. Mm -hmm. And I was actually very pleased with the new structure to the introduction that'll help I think the future readers really help understand what they're reading. So anyway. Beautiful. So I listened to The Adventures of Tom Sawyer mm. by Mark Twain. So I've never listened to anything from Mark Twain or Samuel read. Clemens. That guy. And uh, when I was at ETS, I met with George from Georgia. 
And he recommended various different resources, um, Mark Twain resources, because I wanted to do something. So for my kids, though, uh, Adventures of Tom Sawyer ended up fitting the bill. It was, I mean, he was a rebellious, nasty little kid. That's that's who he was, uh, Tom Sawyer. Yes. Yes, he was. Have you read it? Uh, so... I'm not really familiar with a lot of Mark Twain. Like he lied, he stole, he deceived, he tricked. So there's another book that's like The Adventures of Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn. Right. Right. It's a different thing than what you read. Yes. Yeah. So my uncle let me borrow that when I was a kid. Okay. And I started reading it and got distracted Uh in the midst of it. It didn't compel me. Yeah. And, uh, but I remember watching the movie, Uh which... You know. Right, and I've seen the movie. But the movie, like, tames it down. I mean, he's, like, manipulating these girls. He likes this one girl, and he likes this other girl. And then he's, like, playing with their emotions. I mean, he's just bad, like, in yeah. every way, shape, and form. And even my kids, as we were listening to it, they're like, Dad, this kid's, like, terrible. I'm like, I know, and it's supposed to be funny. And, it, you know, the way that they kind of talk about it, from his perspective, it's kind of funny. Do you think it wrongfully exalts... Vice? Sin? Yeah. Now, he kind of makes a turn at the end and he does some virtuous things that are difficult. But that gets into the whole, well, I mean, are you, our culture tends to do this where they, something inside of every person is virtuous and good and given the right circumstances, then that shines out or whatever. I'm like, the the kid was terrible. He wouldn't have ever done all of these virtuous things. He was just self-centered and and, uh, greedy. Um, And anyway, so I didn't really care for it a whole lot. It's a classic, though, and so I'm glad that I listened to it. I talked to my kids through it on multiple occasions, and uh, and so it was a, a fitting conversation point. But that's what I that's what I have for my books and business. Sure, yeah, I, I at some point want to dabble into Twain. It'll probably be a summer in the future, you know, trying to grab a couple of his uh, mm-hmm. his works, and you know, we're not that far from. Missouri and uh, down in Missouri of the is it Missouri or is it anyway yeah I think it's Missouri Mark Twain National Forest and all that is that in Missouri mm-hmm. I think mm. but it, it, you're not far off there of Mark Twain to some of the other authors we've mentioned so um, oh I want to say Woodrow Wilson Rawls but that does not sound right because Woodrow Wilson's a president but yeah Wilson uh, Rawls the, Wilson Rawls thank you. Um, where the red fern grows. Mm-hmm. Um, he has another book too. Yes, he does about monkeys or something. Yeah, I ordered it. I haven't read it yet. It's not. It's not supposed to be very good. That's what I've heard, but still, I picked up a copy. Yeah, and so and then I'm reading something right now. I don't think I've mentioned that on the podcast, but it's very similar, and we'll have a an episode on it in the future. But kind of a young adult fiction, outdoorsy, Ozarky Mountains type of a feel to it. But anyway, so there's books and business. So let's have a conversation about Nine Marks. And uh, so a little bit of context here. If I mention the name Mark Dever, most of the pastors or ministry leaders around our Iowa Fellowship knows who that is. Mm-hmm. He is the senior pastor of Capitol Hill Baptist Church in uh, Washington, D.C., and he's been there for about 
30 years or so. I think he went there in 1994, 1995, somewhere in there. And he shared his story at this conference of, you know, when he went there and the things he inherited, things like that. I personally, I think before this weekend, I had never listened to a Mark Dever sermon. I'd never read his kind of penultimate book, The Nine Marks of a Healthy Church, that kind of launched the enterprise. Where the Nine Marks guys are really well known, is they, they, I think they're becoming very popular now with the works that they're publishing. Very short, simple, helpful church books yeah, on they a have lot of different things. On deacons, becoming a church, healthy yeah. church, church Discipling. member, discipleship one, yep. Um, it's a it's a good little discipleship yeah. book. I forget who wrote it, but it's a good so the, overview the, the of discipleship. The discipling discipleship. book is Mark Dever. That one's Dever himself? Mm-hmm. Okay. It's the little mm-hmm. blue book in what they call their rainbow series, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, teach their own. I don't know if I would call it the rainbow series, but... That's okay. Retake the rainbow. Yeah, retake the rainbow. <laughs> I like that. I like that. So, but so there, there's... An, of the nine Marks guys... I, if you would have asked me to name another Nine Marks author, or I'm going to use their word, elder, I couldn't have done it. Oh, really? Jonathan Lehman? I knew Lehman. I didn't know. Lehman's written a lot. So yeah, he's written a lot for them. Um, Bobby Jameson. Yep. Um, Jamie Dunlap. Uh, a lot of these guys that are out there. Mm-hmm. That have Matt Schmucker, uh, a lot of these guys. And by the way, Matt, if you're listening to this, I'm the guy you ridiculed in the front row last weekend. <laughs> anyway, uh, I, I didn't know any of these guys' names. You're so funny. I didn't know any of these guys' names. I, I wasn't familiar with who they were. The only Nine Marks book that I had read going into this weekend was Conversion by Michael Lawrence. And I thought it was a good book about conversion. I mean, obviously... There, there are theological differences that this, this might be the beginning of a, a nine marks series um, where, you know, I, I now have a lot of their books that they gave us at the conference. And so I can, oh, maybe really? inter- oh yeah, I think I have like all of them. <laughs> Path to being a pastor by Bobby Jameson. So, okay. Now I didn't realize that was a nine marks book. Yeah, it is. But our church had gone through that with a small group. Oh, they did. And uh, we had a group of guys that you went through that. You haven't talked about it on the podcast. I haven't. And so, uh, and by the way, if you want, there's some things I don't like about it, but I'm sure there are, yeah, <laughs> I'm sure there are. I think there's a lot of good things about it, but, um, Bobby Jameson, by the way, if you want to get a picture in your mind, imagine Paul Rudd. So the actor that played Ant-Man from the Marvel movies, only instead of like short black hair, he's got like wavy blonde hair. That is Bobby Jameson. Uh, which... <laughs> Yeah, the it first time not work for me, but anyway, the first time whatever. I saw him, I'm like, oh my goodness, that is a Baptist Paul Rudd. Anyway, uh, if you look <laughs> him up, if you look him up, you'll see it. You'll see. You put the pictures next to each other. You'll see it. Anyway, um, so I, I had not. We do not condone the Ant Man. You don't condone the Ant Man <laughs> movie series. Go ahead, sure, keep going. Sure. Um, <clears throat> where were we? Ant Man. <laughs> roll that ball. Yarn. Path to being a pastor. Yeah. By so Bobby I, I didn't. So I had read that, but I didn't realize it was nine marks. I didn't realize. All of these guys are on a church staff mm-hmm. at the same church. You know, I, I had no no really idea of the um, substrata of nine marks. And then I go out there and, and it actually kind of protects you because you don't get struck by like, oh my goodness, look, I didn't know who they were. It's Kevdog. Yeah. Well, which, <laughs> have I told that story on the podcast before? I think so. so. I was at a different conference 
and there was a a handicapped individual in a wheelchair that they were helping to facilitate get into a row and it stopped the flow as we some were walking down in the auditorium some were walking up and uh i realized that i was standing right next to kevin DeYoung, and uh of course of all the nice uh, eloquent things you could say in that moment i slapped him on the shoulder and said what's up kev dog <laughs> and uh so there's that anyway so I didn't know any of these guys. I didn't really know what to expect. What did he, Kevin DeYoung say in return? He just smiled. I thought he said something like, how's it going, brother? Or something like some, that. I don't know. Something <laughs> like that. He probably prayed over me in the spirit or something. I don't know. Um, <clears throat> don't tell. No, no, I'm not going to make that joke. Anyway, um, so I, I really didn't know what to expect. I went with a group of guys from our church. We're just trying to, we're trying to glean to disciple and build our church and and so uh here's what i knew about them going into the weekend starting starting off southern baptist so i knew that but mark dever had a good enough reputation that i was like i'm pretty sure he's not out there like really out there and going to his church, hearing him speak multiple times. He is what I, uh, probably what I appreciated about him the most is how distinct, precise, and deliberate he is. So like he'd, he'd field a question, which we're going to talk about their music in a moment. A question that came up in one of the Q and A's was, do you have a theological reason for your music? And he's just, no. Next. He's like very, just like straight to the point. He, he means what he says and he says what he means. I really appreciate that about him. Um, and so I knew they were Southern Baptist, didn't know like how far out they were. I was not aware. I mean, I was aware, but I wasn't fully really aware. They're on the conservative side of the Southern Baptist. They, they are very conservative. Yeah, they are conservative um, theologically and methodologically. And so uh, there was one night where we actually got to observe a members class that they're having. And one of the parts of that members class was Dever himself walking through the church doctrinal statement with the potential members and explaining. And I knew this, but it, it kind of strikes you a little bit differently when you're hearing it from the horse's mouth that they're full five-point Calvinists, which that's not an issue at all. Um, you know, obviously I'm not a, a five-pointer. Uh, we actually have uh, some schools that we would have decent fellowship with that are very similar to that and um and so but so that that was something that kind of is going to come into the discussion that i'm going to later get to that i I didn't fully understand who they were theologically because i wasn't that familiar with them that was a big a big deal and that that l and that p on that tulip are going to become important and then uh what are the l and the p on the tulip so yeah so should we just walk through? Just say what the L and the P are. The L now. is limited atonement. And uh, the way that they define limited atonement, I actually think we would agree. We just don't like the word limited atonement. That Christ's atonement gets applied to different people in different ways. Or I think the words that he specifically said that night were, Christ didn't die for everyone the same way. He said something very similar to that. Of course, it's not recorded. I didn't write it down. So whatever. Um, yeah, I don't like that definition. It's basically a redefinition of traditional limited atonement. Yes, it's 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 but that's saying okay. that we're limited atonement, but they're getting cute with how they want to start applying right. the atonement to 
you know, anyway. So, and then the, uh, the P would be perseverance of the saints, that someone who is genuinely saved will persevere to the end. Uh, so they're not going to fall away. Which that's going to be, become very important in their ecclesi- uh, ecclesiological structure. And uh, so I, I really didn't have any idea who they were, hadn't really read them, just go into the conference because your pastor asked you to go to the conference. Okay. Here are some of my things that I was, I think were very positive that I enjoyed. Mm-hmm. I'm going to start with like probably the biggest one. And I think they're known for this. So if, if you go, if you're ever in Washington, D.C., I would actually recommend that you go visit their church. They do a lot of singing. It is incredibly structured, so it's, it's not flippant in any way. Which means that he does have a theology of worship, by the way. But anyway, go uh, ahead, keep going. They, they have a, a very uh, strict service structure. Mm-hmm. They have a, someone who's in, in control of the service, who's not the pastor preaching. Someone that's kind of just keeping the flow and transitioning you between things. They have multiple deliberate times of prayer the pastoral prayer, the prayer of confession, prayer of repentance, that they're building mm. into... They have a prayer of confession and repentance? I believe so. I, I can't remember exactly wow. what they called them. I know the word confession was used for sure, but I think there was, before the preaching, there were three specific times of prayer. They had different people come up with manuscripted oh, prayers. manuscripted now, prayers. Now, you couldn't really tell that, but mm-hmm. because I was at the conference and you're seeing under the hood, we knew that. And so, but then really the highlight is that they're going to sing a lot. And the way that you're singing it is they have no projected words. Uh, they don't, they don't put words up on a screen. They print it all in their bulletin and, uh, they use limited musical instruments. They don't have an orchestra. They don't have a lot going on up front. It's just piano and singers, and they did get into that. The reason they do that is they go to Ephesians 5, and they say, we are to sing to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And so they, they want you to be looking at other people, hearing each other sing. Mm -hmm. And they're actually very intentional about that. And I will tell you, it was incredible. They have a very unique auditorium. So if, you, if, if you're listening to this, you can go to my Instagram, uh, uh, which I don't even know what my Instagram thing is, at uh, PastorChar15 or something like that, 1015. Yeah, just anyway, have them go to I, Thinkling's I, podcast. I have, a picture, I have a picture of the auditorium looking from, uh, from what they call their West Hall into their main auditorium. But they actually have a wall that can go up right in the middle. But then they tear that wall down and then they have two levels. So there's like a, it's like a semicircle with the pulpit in the middle. And, uh, but so you're literally, if you're sitting on one side, you're looking directly across and even kind of behind at tons of people and the, the sound reverberates and it gets very loud as you're singing. And I would say that it is beautiful and it's well done in the shaping of affections. Hmm. And you will be blessed if you go and, and worship with them. I, I really think you would. And, and that was something that as soon as we got done with that, and I, I don't know, maybe I'm not supposed to share the inner workings of our own group, but I was sitting next to my pastor 
Pastor Lance Augsburger. And he turned to me and he asked this question. He asked our group this later. Did you sing any differently here than you do at home? And I said, yeah, I think I sang a lot louder. And he said, why? <laughs> and that's, and that's a, that is a good question to ponder. And uh, I don't, I don't, you know, there's no rights, there's no wrongs. There's no like, they're, they're, they're the only one doing it the right way and everyone else is doing it the wrong way. Um, but uh, are you looking for a picture to put on our Thinklings podcast? No, I found the picture that you were talking about. I was just yeah. looking it up. But um, if you had, I was going to just tell him, go look at the thing. Uh, Actually, I know. I think I did post a picture of that, didn't I? Yeah, a picture of the two levels of the auditorium. But, it's... but you, can't, you can't see is that's absent. So if you go to my Instagram and you look the other, like if you look at that picture, what that picture is where you're looking at the main auditorium and the stained glass windows on one side, it's yep. mirrored on the other side. Okay. And it, it's it's a really unique wraparound two part level auditorium. It's it's very unique. And so anyway, I, a big takeaway is that I think they really have a good grasp on what congregational singing should singing look like. Should yeah. look like. Mm -hmm. And so then that kind of rolls into my other big takeaway is that they have a huge emphasis on the assembly. What is the church? Yeah, Lehman has his book, One Assembly. Yes. Who is the church? Mm -hmm. like, the church is the people that assemble. <clears throat> mm -hmm. If you don't assemble, you're not a church. Right, so that's why these multi-service services and everything, he's like, that's three churches meeting on yes. a Sunday morning. It's not one. And so Lehman, I, I actually, I was in a, I had lunch with a group of about 20, and, and Lehman, so Jonathan Lehman is no longer at Capitol Hill, he left a handful of years ago to go with a church plant, Chevrolet Baptist Church, and they've graduated their church plant. And uh, things are going well there. And I uh, spoke with him briefly about that, which was fun. I, and what's unique for me is I, I didn't know who the guy was. So to me, it's just like, he's a church planting pastor. Mm -hmm. Like, I had no idea that this guy had published books through Nine Marks. Mm -hmm. Never heard his name in my life. Well, the one assembly one was really... Um... It came out right, I think, right before COVID. And so it ended up being a very, what, formative and helping people to think through things or even just rejecting it. But yeah. Sure. But so I, I actually really like their emphasis in ecclesiology on the assembly, on meaningful church membership, mm -hmm. and on uh, practicing church discipleship culture and church discipline. And uh, what's unique about a weekender event when you go is you get to sit in on a members meeting, you get to sit in on elders meetings, and, and you kind of get to see how they do things. And there are theological differences. Elders? Between, yeah. So they would, it's actually, we kind of had a running joke there at the weekend that they have like a gazillion different titles. Like they do call people pastors, there's staff pastors, there's lay elders, there's staff elders, there's pastoral assistants, there's senior pastoral assistants. So there's like the whole, and we're like, by the end of the weekend, we're like, so what does the senior elder assistant pastor do? <laughs> you know, we're just making, like our group is joking because we, we, I think we're the only ones there from, we were from the garb or general regular Baptist circle. And uh, 
So, you know, theological differences aside, as they interpret 1 Timothy 5, uh, or they look at some of the uh, epistles, and they, they would say that a plurality of elders is required, or heavily, 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 heavily encouraged, and that you don't have to pay every pastor. Mm-hmm. They and that's where they they have no problem having twenty elders or slash pastors. They, they use the term synonymously. Yeah, which is good. And so they don't they don't have pastors, elders, deacons, three different offices. They still have two offices. Um, but the, the big difference there is where they would really emphasize the plurality mm-hmm. as necessary, mm-hmm. and that a lay elder or lay pastor is someone that is qualified that you are not paying. And then a staff pastor or elder is someone you are paying and that the church can choose to or not to pay those elders. And I think that would be a, a major difference in some of our churches. There's the feel of the, the need to pay every pastor. And I think there's good exegetical support for that. First fact. Timothy five. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, but it's interesting that you even say like first Timothy five, but then when you ask them, which actually a question was given to Dever on this exact topic. I'm sure they get it every year. And, and he's like, well, 1 Timothy 5. So it's, it, it is, it's an interpretive difference on the same passage. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, where we would say, you know, every pastor should be honored. Every pastor should be paid. But the one that can do everything well is worthy of double honor. Mm-hmm. Pay the good pastor more where they would look at that and say, see, it's, it's demonstrating to you that there are some pastors who do certain things and some pastors who do other things. So there's different types of elders. Mm-hmm. And then they would go to Paul and was like, well, he was certainly an elder or like it, and he didn't need to be paid, which is a little bit less of an exegetical argument. Uh, but anyway, so that, that's not the point. Uh, Knowing some of those differences, not knowing all of them, I was really encouraged with their emphasis on the assembly and how they they really wanted church membership to mean something. Now, going back to the P on that tulip, they really want it to mean something because if you fall away, well, you're not a believer, you know? And so they're they're trying to really affirm, this is their language, really affirm your conversion, and the moment that they can't affirm your conversion, you're not a church member. Right. And that's why they don't baptize kids until at least, I, they don't, I don't think they have a definitive age, but their preference would be 18 or older. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, we watched them uh, deal with matters of church membership very specifically. Um, and, and I just thought that was a good emphasis. And they... they they have a pastor. His name is Deepak, uh, which is an interesting name. D e e p a k, I think, mm-hmm. is how it's spelled. And he's like their discipleship pastor. And he talks about kind of how they they're mindful of who's sneaking into what balcony and how quickly they're there and when they leave and how they they've taken, I think, great pains over the last twenty twenty five years to have a a membership that disciples one another. And I actually was really blessed by that. And to get to, you kind of observe that at a Sunday evening service type of a uh, setting, I actually thought it was really, really, I would say all of our churches would benefit to strive for that same culture. Uh, Obviously, we wouldn't emphasize the 
same exact things because we have theological differences. But I, I was I was encouraged by that. Uh, that would lead me to want to read more of their material to understand their theological footing for the decisions they're making, the methodology that they've developed. And so those, I would say those are kind of my two big, I would say I was blessed by that. I was blessed by their intentionality and their service specifically with their worship music. Mm -hmm. And then I was blessed with the culture of discipleship that they have. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think I think I would love to see that same culture in my own church. Uh, not that it's not there, but I, I would love to continue to grow. That uh, watching them on a Sunday evening, you know, watching their members interact, hearing the elders talk about, uh, you know, how they're they're equipping saints for the work of the ministry, so that when something happens, the member can disciple a member. Uh, I can't remember. It might have been Jonathan Lehman who made the statement. They, they, they would all have their kind of company lines, you know. But uh, that uh, discipleship isn't something that the elite do. Discipleship is something that every church member is doing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so having a culture that equips every disciple, every member to disciple other members, I think is a really good emphasis. Mm-hmm. And so that is just kind of a quick takeaway, a quick takeaway of the, of the weekend. Uh, I was, I would say almost completely unfamiliar with who they were. I'm at least intrigued with some of the aspects of their service and membership flow that I'd like to, you know, now they, they give you a pile of free books. Um, and so I'm, I now have more books than I know what to do with to read. Uh, since I'm working on a discipleship book, I am going to probably start by reading Discipling by Mark Dever. Mm-hmm. And then from there, I'm probably going to go to um, probably just the nine marks and go straight to the to the source. And um, anyway, yeah. Any thoughts there, Tim, or things that you think we could talk about there? Is that sufficient? Yeah, I think that really captures a lot of the uh, benefits and pros of uh, of uh, of uh, that ministry that can help us to move in a trajectory of a more biblical based uh, ecclesiology. That's their strong suit. Nine Marks of a Healthy Church by Mark Dever is the main book. I would encourage uh, any pastor that's listening. If you haven't read it, you should. Yeah. Um, most of the things we agree with, except their ecclesiology and eschatology. Oh I have... yeah, I <laughs> I forgot to mention the eschatology. That yeah. that. Uh, if you have the eschatological antenna up, it, it blinks a lot. So, um, there's a lot of, they're, they're basically amillennial in their eschatology. So, uh, Carter was telling me off the air that he heard a sermon from Isaiah two. Yeah. I don't know if I want to mention that on the air. Anyway, that's okay. The, um, (laughs) other thing I just, cause I'm too critical. That's why I'm a bum. The other thing I want to uh, just kind of even highlight is the whole idea of elders. Sometimes when we have elders, we have these pastors that are doing the work of the ministry. And when somebody kind of starts moving in that kind of a position, that kind of a role, um, they then acquire that title. Are they congregational rules still, or are they just elder? Yep, they're very, they would say it's an elder Elder-led congregational church. So the congregation they, voted people out of the congregation. Yep. The elders do not make decisions. Okay. 
um, they, they, they would function very similar to what we would do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, that's where I think what's interesting is uh, we need another episode. So uh, let me, let me well, give option A, option B. Would you rather a church have multiple lay elders? And what I mean by that is people doing ministry and we're not paying them. And those people meet regularly. They make recommendations to the church and they're all pastors and elders. Mm -hmm. And then the church votes on what the elders have decided. Some of them paid, some of them not. Mm -hmm. Or option B, you have a pastor or two and you have some people who are not paid who meet regularly and recommend things to the church that are called deacons, Mm. which functionally, that's how a lot of our churches operate where uh, I think deacons can easily fill a practical authoritative role in a church that needs the service. And, and, and we're okay giving a deacon prescribed authority in areas of service in the church. That's what there's there to do. Like, it's hard to serve in an area or lead in service in an area if you have, like, n- no authority. And there's influence that a deacon has. But practically, if you look at option A, option B, here's a, a group of pastors, and, and then some of them are paid, some of them are not paid. Here's a group with a few pastors and deacons who are not paid. And they're both doing a lot of the exact same things. They're both meeting in a very similar way. They're both making the same recommendations mm-hmm. and the congregation's voting. You know, yeah. you, could, you could look at one and be like, oh, those elders are deacons. And then you could look at the other and can be like, well, those deacons are elders. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's, it's the Spider-Man meme where there's two Spider-Mans pointing at each other like, <laughs> and uh, obviously, you know, be fully so, convinced in your own mind and exegete and know your theology. And if you're convinced one way, then do it. And if you're not, don't. And that's where I, I would I would be more in favor of the typical structure. But anyway, yeah, I mean that is kind of, you just kind of opened a big can of worms. <laughs> I did. I did. I did open a major can of worms. Well, and then because there there are, it's it's more complex than we. Well, I don't think that. I don't know how I would how much. Comp- I don't know how complex we haven't even talked about this. I don't think you no. even know where I stand on some of those kinds of issues. But I mean, if you think through the office of the, of a deacon, a deacon is a servant. They're serving yes. the pastors to accomplish the work of the ministry, and that's their role. That's what they should be doing. Yes. In a lot of our churches, the deacons don't function as deacons. They function actually as pastors. And so Charlie's so essentially being critical of that kind of a view of a pastor or of a deacon. And I'm I'm, I'm not critical of that. I I am critical of it. I don't. I think would that the, I would say that. The, the people that should be critical of it would be the church. Like, and if, if your church doesn't want that, then your church needs to be proactive to, to deal with that. But if you are a church where, well, they're not, they don't aspire to be a pastor, but they meet the qualifications for a deacon, mm-hmm. and you're willing to give them this prescribed authority to, to do some, like, I think a lot of deacons in churches do a lot of teaching and that's not a bad thing. Yeah. I'm a deacon. I teach Sunday school. I teach right. equipped classes. Right. Um, but does but that's every... not the primary role unless it's given, you know? And so th- th- there's a lot of nuance to that, but I don't think it's that complicated. Yeah. Just what the, this whole idea of elders has done is it's created in many cases an anemic church body so that the people who do the teaching, the, te- the people who are leading are then have to have this title of like elder or sure. pastor and i'm like baloney okay S- stephen was 
a deacon, and he was martyred. Uh, but he was also all he was also, you know, proclaiming truth and teaching and doing other things. So I can do that as a deacon or even as a lay oh yeah, person. absolutely. So as far as this is one of my contentions with this whole elder kind of role is that anybody who begins to show some kind of leadership in teaching or um, Bible studies or whatever it might be, okay, I mean, well, what is that? Well, that's the church and the pastors. What are they doing? Well, they're equipping the saints for this work of the ministry. Yeah. What's that guy now doing? He's doing the work of the ministry. Praise the Lord. Yeah, 100%. Okay, he doesn't need to have an elder title. He doesn't even have to have a deacon title. Yeah, and, and so... But their role... They would, would agree put, with you. Well, a lot of times they put the term elder on that kind of an individual, and I think it's inappropriate. So that's my contention with them. If they're going to put the term elder on an individual, they need to pay the guy, according to First Timothy five. And, and I would, I would agree with you there. Um, and there's something different from the elder because it is a position of authority. Yes, I don't. I'm not a pastor. I'm not an elder, but I do yes. a lot of teaching. I do a yeah. lot of discipleship, but I don't have that elder pastor authority and my leading is through the word of god and and i would say too that they they i don't think they would disagree other than the payment comment you just mm -hmm. made they would completely agree with you when when there's someone who they identify as qualified they ask them if they go right to first timothy three do you desire to be mm -hmm. and if they don't desire to be well then you're not an elder because mm -hmm. you don't desire we're not going to make you an elder if you're not a you know mm -hmm. and but so then, okay, you could be a deacon and just serve, or I think they do have many who are just doing that and aren't. And uh, obviously, any woman well, that is that is unique because they do have deaconesses as well, uh, which is another fun discussion. Yes. But Let's I think not go there. I think they have a lot of women who obviously aren't elders who are doing that. And I think when you align it that way, it's like well, clearly they have members who aren't elders who are serving um, in those same capacities. Um, in similar capacities, but anyway, I don't want to get into that. But um, how did we get down that digression? <laughs> you, 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 you just riff away. We were talking about eschatology. You went into the ecclesiology and the whole elder rule thing, which is a big, yeah. huge can and, of worms. And so that that would be the uh, obviously the main difference between why someone does have the elder or elder rule or plurality of elders or who doesn't is the interpretation of first Timothy five. Mm -hmm. Well stated, understand that. Yeah. Um, but we were talking about eschatology, weren't we? Well, you went to eschatology and then there was the amillennialism and you made a comment, but I don't know. If I you think really you went there. there. <laughs> As I just said, I just said the difference, main differences with them we have is their ecclesiology and eschatology. Yes, yes. Man, I feel like there was another comment there that we were, I was trying to wrap up something. This well, is what happens when Andy's not here. We're just a disorganized mess. Should we end with uh, a message from God's word? That would be a great thing to do. Let's talk about some eschatology. <laughs> Go for it. I'm going to read Isaiah 2, 1 through 4. Just for kicks and giggles, friend. <laughs> The word that Isaiah, the son, of, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house will be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations will flow to it. Many people shall come and say, come and let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways and we will walk in his paths. 
For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. These four verses, particularly the three verses, verses two through four, uh, depict the coming kingdom of the Lord Jesus when the Lord's house is exalted on the top of the mountains. It states, now it will come to, pass, come to pass in the latter days. A lot of things are stated in the latter days. Whether or not it's the end, end times or just the future, we know that uh, from the context and how the text, all of Isaiah 2 ends, this is the end, end times. And what does it state? The mountain of the Lord's house will be established on the top of the mountains. This whole idea of mountains is a, a metaphor or a symbol I'm going to use the word metaphor. I think think that fits better. Metaphor for a kingdom. We see this idea of a mountain being a kingdom, not only in Daniel. If you think through the image of Nebuchadnezzar, there's the, the head of gold and the silver, the bronze, and that big image. And what happens to that image? A rock hits it. Hits it at its feet. And then what happens to that rock? It becomes a great mountain in all of the earth. This idea that a mountain is a kingdom is in the book of Daniel, but it's also here because mountains are going to be destroyed in Isaiah 2, 13, 14, that area. So this mountain of the Lord's house is going to be established on the top of the mountain. So in other words, guess what God's kingdom is going to be? Exalted above every other kingdom. This will be the kingdom of our Lord Jesus. It will be exalted above the hills and all nations will flow to it. Here we have the clear explanation how the hills are parallel with the nations. All of these other nations, all these other hills, all these other mountains will flow, okay, it's a river terminology, will flow upward to the mountain of the Lord. So here in Isaiah 2.2, we have the exaltation of God's mountain, of God's kingdom at this future time. And then what do we have in Isaiah 2.3? Many people will come and say, come. And let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. So it's not only the nation of Israel, but also all nations that will come. And they will say, let's go to God's house. Why? Because we want to learn. It states, he will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths. This future kingdom, where God is exalted over all, will be a source of education, of learning. And this is even applicable, and the text does, it applies it to Israel specifically, and what we should endeavor to do, to be instructed in the ways of the Lord, to walk in His ways, to, to uh, tread in His paths. Uh, it states in this end time, out of Zion will go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Then finally in verse 4, He will judge between the nations and rebuke many people. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. There will be no more war. Will not that be a great time? Nation will not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. God's kingdom will be a time of peace. This is something that we as believers look forward to, this reign of peace by the Lord Jesus. This text, though, is not only for the past or for the future, it's for the present. And that's what Isaiah did with it. In Isaiah 2.5, he states, O house of Jacob, come and let us walk in the light of the Lord. And that's what I want to encourage you to do as we wrap up this episode. Walk 
in the light of the Lord. When Jesus comes back and sets up his kingdom, all nations will be instructed by God and they will walk in his steps. Let's start doing that today. Draw close to God. Learn from his word. Study it, read it, and walk in it. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Thinklings Podcast. We would love to hear from you. If you have any feedback, suggestions, or potential topics that you'd like us to discuss, you can contact us through our email, thinklingspodcast at gmail.com. Remember, don't let this conversation end with this podcast. Read good books, talk about them with your friends, and always continue to cultivate your mind. See you next time on the Thinklings Podcast. The Thinklings want to remind our listeners that the Thinklings podcast is our personal production. Our conversations, book discussions, and viewpoints may not represent the views of Faith Baptist Bible College and Theological Seminary.